The following program is supported by the Community Broadcasting Foundation, cbf.com.au. Close your eyes for a couple of minutes. Just close them tight. And are you any less intelligent? Are you any less incapable? Oh, I'm getting emotional. It's really hard to talk about. When I would talk to people about me having autism, they'd look at me and they'd be like, you don't look autistic. Marie, why don't you want to go to school anymore? And I said, because Roger picks on me. Are you any less mobile just because you've got your eyes closed? And the answer is no. He doesn't look autistic or he'll grow out of it or everyone's just a little bit autistic or on the spectrum. We got that a lot and we get that a lot. And this is what happens is when young people like that are bullied, they don't want to go, they don't feel like they fit in, they're not being included. You know, we all just need to break down these barriers and stigmas and just all get along. I'm not that comfortable with saying I'm a dwarf, but that's up to me to say it. It's not up for someone to call me that. If you knew what autism is and the challenges that we face on a daily basis, you wouldn't be making such a bold comment like that. I think it comes down to misconceptions and misrepresentation. Don't label people, don't put labels on people. Treat each person as an individual, whether they have special needs or not. Each person is unique in their own way. Each person strives in their own way. Because I want people to understand the experience because then they can understand how to communicate with others, how to be inclusive and supportive of people who are going through limb difference where they themselves can't represent what they're going through. My disability does not define me. I don't have a disability. I have a different ability because I am differently abled. Prepare to shatter preconceived notions and misconceptions about disabilities with 2MFM's groundbreaking interview series, Differently Abled. Be inspired by a group of individuals who are challenging stereotypes every day. Differently Abled. Paving the way for a more inclusive tomorrow. Hi everyone, my name is Rolf Gillings and I am blind. My life's journey has been interesting and I hope you get some insights in listening to my story. What comes to mind when you think of blindness? Is it a person wearing dark sunglasses, possibly with a cane or a seeing eye dog? Well, there are certainly people with vision loss who fit this bill, but for many others, their experience of blindness is not quite so black and white. And the thing is, few of us truly understand blindness. Even when we try and imagine what it might be like, we can only ever see it in relation to the visual world rather than a world in and of its own. So what is it really like for someone with blindness. Today we speak to Vision Australia's Regional Client Services Manager, Rolf Geeling. Rolf Geeling is legally blind due to Stargardt's, a hereditary condition that causes the deterioration of central vision. Today on Differently Abled, Rolf shares his own lived experience of Stargardt's disease and issues his advice on the inclusive language that should be used and the social etiquette for interacting with people who are blind. Rolf, thank you so much for your time with us today. Uh, my pleasure. So start off, please, by telling us a little bit about yourself, the potted history of yeah. Rolf, where you grew up, your hobbies, yep. interests, and your role with Vision Australia. Love to. You know, I started, I started out life as a um, pastry chef by trade, and a simple trip to the optometrist uh, changed my life. I'll never forget it. She looked in one eye and she looked in the other eye and she stepped back and she said nothing. And then she went back and she looked in both eyes again and she said, she said something under her breath, which I heard, but I won't mention it on air. You know, it was of shock and disbelief. And then she said to me, I'll never forget it. She said, I think I know what you've got because I studied at a university mm. and I need uh, a specialist to be able to, um, you know, confirm my diagnosis. So 
I went in thinking I needed a pair of glasses and came out with a piece of paper in my hand going to a specialist. And if I can be very blunt here, I was in shock. I was absolutely horrified. I didn't know what was happening. Um, all I knew is that, A, I was going in for glasses and next minute I've got a serious eye condition. So um, to cut a long story short, off I trotted to the um, you know specialist and they sent me to another specialist and then I went down to the Sydney Eye Hospital under Professor Wilson um, at the time. And this is about, or oh, the year 2000 it was when I was first diagnosed. Um, it was the Sydney Olympics. I think some people can still remember that we had the Olympics in the year 2000. And yep. um, that's when I was first diagnosed. And what happened next was my journey and my story and, and, and how I started to come to terms with the fact that, you know, I had a serious eye condition. That's right, yeah. We know that vision loss or blindness is a very wide spectrum. It could range from it being a mild condition to total blindness. So yep. where does Stargardt's disease stand on the spectrum? What is it exactly and who does it usually affect well, and how? That's a very good question. Stargardt's, as you mentioned in, in your intro, was, is, is your central vision. And what happens is your central, it's like you're having... Um, two very large black dots in the middle of your eye and you can't see anything because it's gone. But normally your peripheral vision is okay. So even though you're legally blind, you can still see a little bit, you know, because you're using your peripheral vision. But with me, I'm a little bit more unique than that, that my peripheral started to go as well. So I had a combination of Stargardt's disease and other things going on to the point now where I only see shadows, light and dark and, um, you know, diff different shadows like that. So I can see a person's outline. I can see their shadow, but I wouldn't know if they were male or female until they talked. I wouldn't know what their hair colour was. I wouldn't know anything about it. So normally, normally Stargardt's is just your central vision and your peripherals okay, but my peripherals started to go as well. So um, I've got a combination of a few things going on. So typically... You know, as you mentioned, we rely heavily on central vision for seeing fine details. So when you're reading or looking straight ahead, for example, when you're looking at someone's face, you can see the outline, but you can't see the fine details. But in terms of the side vision, typically wouldn't affect peripheral side vision. It won't prevent you no. from getting around independently. But you had double I, the effect, I, I, double the impact. I was blessed, so to speak, that, you know, it was it wasn't normal. So I, I, I was lucky or unlucky, you know, to, to, to have this. Now, I just want to let your, your, your viewers know something, that um, there's very, very few people that are totally blind. There's a lot of people that have some type of, of, of sight, you know, even if they're legally blind. You hear the term legally blind, but normally with legally blind, you can still see a little bit and you can still get around you know, okay. Legally blind just means that um, that's what um, the the authorities have put down as, you know, okay, once you've passed your legally blindness, that's when, when all, all other services start to kick in. But look, there's very few people that are completely blind. Most people have some type of vision, whether it's light and dark, whether it's shapes and all sorts of things, but they can still see a little bit so it really varies. As we said, uh, there are some people who assume just because someone is blind that they see total darkness. But for someone with Stargardt's disease, you mentioned that there are certain things you might see in your vision to begin with. And as it progresses, as the condition moves forward, you can see that it starts to really impact your sight more and more. Talk to us about whether you understood truly what the diagnosis meant for your vision you mentioned that you were absolutely <laughs> petrified at the at the diagnosis but did you really have a sense of what it would really mean for you i know i did not and, and one of the things i say back then it's about 22 years ago one of the things that was happening back then is everybody treated the disease when i say everybody all the professionals all the professionals all the surgeons all, all the eye people were treating the disease wonderfully. You know, they were they were looking looking at the disease and they were, they were trying to help the disease. 
but nobody treated me as a person. Nobody knew that um, inside I was terrified. Um, nobody knew that, you know, I was in a mess, you know, because I didn't know how to handle it and all the rest of it. And um, I really thank everybody now because that stigma is changing with all the, you know, doctors and everybody else now have got this sense of to treat the patient as well. Not only the disease, but treat the patient and what the patient's going through. But as the question you asked is, I had no idea. I was scared. I didn't know what to do. Um, and that's when some real serious things started to happen. So are you telling me that at the time, 22 years ago, you didn't have that emotional support that you needed? You didn't have that guidance in terms of helping you cope and come to terms with your rapidly deteriorating vision? Um, you know, Correct. It's very hard trying to come to terms with your condition and you need that support. You need that emotional uh, support yep. to guide you through dealing with such an ordeal. It's not easy. Oh, um, absolutely. Definitely. But, but the industry, and I say the industry, you know, orthops and optometrists and specialists in the last, you know, 15, almost 20 years, you know, have changed the way in which they deal with patients and clients. And, and, and the good thing is that is now almost a thing of the past. You know, there are still some, some, some little, you know, hiccups that people have, but, um, I know now when I go to, say, the optometrist or now I go to the specialist, you know, the, the patient care is so much better because they teach it in the universities. They, they and, and I give a lot of talks at universities to inspiring uh, um, orthops and optometrists and whatnot, you know, giving them the client perspective. So that the, the industry's made great strides. So I don't want people... Um, out there hearing hearing me, um, my journey to think, oh, it's like that now, but it's not. It's changed and it's brilliant. The, the amount of um, different services somebody can get out there to help support them through this journey is amazing now, you know, uh, yep. but back then it was And for a lot of things, actually, a lot of conditions and diseases and, and special needs, Things were a lot more different 10, 20 years ago than it is now. So we've definitely come a long way and we still have obviously more to go and there's more work to be done. And that's the purpose of our conversation here today. It's really to, to help us understand and really eliminate the, the stigma that exists. And what I really wanted to touch on today are some of the misconceptions that people typically have about blindness, things that you've encountered. So let's begin. Is it true that people who are blind or have low vision have other senses amplified? There are many people who tend to think that just because you're blind, it means that all your other senses are amplified. I don't know if there's any professional data on this. I can only speak to myself, but um, you do rely on your other senses more because when one 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 of your senses like your eyesight goes you've got to rely on your hearing a lot more your sense of touch your sense of smell all of those things um, are being used a lot more so i don't know if it's been um heightened but i know that i you know i rely more on um, those things than probably i did when i was sighted because we live in a very visual world, mm. um, as you've mentioned, and and so your you, your first thing is your eyes. You see something, and then your the brain reacts. So when your eyes go, you know your other senses do kick in, but you rely on them a lot more. And I, I and I think that may make it more sensitive and may may mean that. But I don't know if there if it's um if a term, but mm. I, I I do know myself that you know I. I need to listen a lot more and, and hear my environments around me and all the rest of it because I have to. The, the, the sight's gone. I would assume that you've probably trained yourself to be acutely aware of your surroundings with your sense of hearing. So you're sharing your perspective in that, your, for example, your hearing ability, it's heightened in a way that you're very in tune with what's going on in an auditory sense. 
There are also misconceptions in relation to Braille and those who may have not come across Braille may not know much about it. Do all people who are blind read Braille? The simple answer to that is no, because Braille is hard to learn, but once you learn it, it's one of those things that has been so helpful for me because I, I've learned how to use Braille and um, there's two different grades. There's a, there's a long hand. And there's a shorthand, you know, um, to me, it took me quite some time to learn Braille. It took me about um, 18 months to learn Braille. Um, and the reason why it took so long, as I said in the beginning, I'm a pastry chef by, by trade. So my hands over the years have been burnt a lot, you know, because of just pulling things out of ovens and whatnot. So my sensitivity on my fingertips was very dull. So I had to moisturise my hands four mm. times a day for six months just to get my hands soft enough so I could then read Braille. Kids pick up, you know, when I say kids, you know, uh, children that have got a vision impairment pick up Braille very, very quickly because um, of the pads in the skin. But to answer your question, not everybody knows Braille and, and it's very, and, and, it, and I feel that's a little bit sad because Braille just opens up a, a lot more things. So you see the Braille on, say, lifts and, and floor numbers and all the rest of it. I can read that that some other people can't if they don't know what the Braille is. There are some people, right, who are blind and lack the tactile sensitivity to read Braille and they rely, I guess, more heavily on audio material and screen reading technology. But you say Braille is such an important tool to have, right? Being able to read Braille is so important. Do you think it's more useful than the kind of screen reading technology that's available? I think it all combines into one, you know, mm. so... Now you're teaching an eight-year-old that is blind Braille, they're going to get a sense of, you know, literacy and they're going to get a sense of sentence structures and full yep. stops and all that stuff where you don't necessarily might get that through audio file yep. or whatnot. But um, the audio file and um, the screen readers that they have nowadays are absolutely brilliant. I use them so I can do my job. I was in a meeting oh, a couple of years ago now to somebody that's been blind all their life and they are, you know, very high up in, 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 in the working life. And, and he said, and I quote, he said, right now is the best time to be blind because of all the changes mm. that are happening out there with all the AT and all of these things that we've got access to. And bearing in mind, he's been blind since birth. So he's seen the, and he was, he's in his about, his, I think he's about 60. So he's seen the days where um, he was, you know, put in a room, you mm -hmm. know, and, and, and doing nothing to now, the whole thing is opened up because of the strides technology has made. So it is absolutely amazing time. And, and it gets, keeps getting improved, uh, Every month, every six months, every year, things come on in the market that just improves the way in which we do things, mm. which is really exciting. That's right. The way we seek education, the way we operate in the workforce, the way we shop and interact with people online. There are so many ways that has really opened up a world of opportunities for people who are blind. What about in terms of, you know, the, the, the kind of technology that has helped you personally? You know, we know that there are people who use a cane and there are people who handle a seeing eye dog. Talk to us about your personal experiences with some of the assistive technology oh, that you have. I don't want to say this is everybody, but this is just my little story. You know, I got presented a cane and from my uh, mobility instructor and he said, Rolf, you know, um, I think a cane would really help because I was starting to have trips and falls and mm bumping into things and wasn't going out much because I was worried about, you know, coming cropper. So he introduced me to a cane. You know, we've all seen in the long canes um, and and I was terrified of this cane. I really was terrified because I thought back then when I first got my hand on the cane that it's going to be like a neon sign above my head mm. saying, oh, this is blind and people are going to, robbed me and this and that and all sorts of things and I was really scared to use it. And it was almost like a stigma thing because having a cane in your hand is almost telling the world that you've got a vision impairment or, or you know, or, or that you're blind, you know. So 
Um, I didn't want to use it. So it took me six months of encouragement before I picked the cane up. And then once I started to get to use the cane, I started to realise that um, I could go places. I started to realise that I could do things for myself instead of having to rely on everybody else around me to help support me. And I can go down the shops and go go and, and do the things that I, I thought I couldn't do because I had a cane in my hand. So I got more and more experience with, uh, with the cane and then... I was um, told, well, Rolf, you know, your, your eyesight's deteriorated to a point now where I think you could utilise a seeing eye dog. And I was sort of like a bit hesitant at first. Again, I thought a seeing eye dog, you know, oh, my goodness, you know, that's that's a huge responsibility. And I got my first seeing eye dog, um, Echo, and she came through the door um, and my whole life changed. Uh, it was just amazing how much this, this dog meant to me, you know, and, I started to be able to get more confident going on trains and, and, and in buses and, and all sorts of things because of my um, seeing eye dog because, you know, it's just a, a little bit of a, an extra support. So when my first dog retired, I didn't hesitate to get another one because it's changed my life that much. I travel an hour and a half, two hours to get to work every day, um, catching public transport using my beautiful seeing eye dog that I've got now, Stella. I couldn't do those things or I don't think I would have the confidence of doing those things if, if I didn't. So having a seeing eye dog, the first it became opened up a lot, but having a seeing eye dog opened up even more. Now, seeing eye dog's not for everybody, you know, because they, they, they are breathing and living and you've got to eat, they've got to eat and you've got to look after them and all the rest of it. But I've never looked back if I can use that terminology. Mm given you that sense of independence and mobility and ability to to exist in a world that, you know, isn't built for blind people, but, you know, you're able to to get around it and, and to function in the way that is suited for your lifestyle. Um, and it's quite interesting that you mention a point about the cane and, and your story and perspective about it because there are so many people particularly young people who refuse to use a white mobility cane or other devices that, that really mark them as as blind. And, and you mentioned oh. that doing that really can risk injury and misunderstanding. But the thing is, you know, blindness is is an invisible disability. People can't identify whether a person is blind or not without those mobility devices, right? So, and then there's a lot of stigma associated with that, a lot of prejudice. You know, you don't look blind. You know, nothing is wrong with you, for example. You know, there's, there's all these expressions yeah. Yeah. Th- that we should steer clear from. Because you don't know. Look, you can have five people all in a row, all with the same disease, say, stargarts that we discussed in the beginning, all represent differently and see things differently and do things differently. And I have actually been... Um, with people that are pretty much completely blind, but they've got a little spot. So they potentially at some times can pick up a little bit of fluff from somebody's shoulder, mm. right? And people go, I see. But um, no, they can't. Mm. You know, it's just that what they've been able to do. And and, and I'm lucky. Um, I'm, well, when I say lucky, I'm very glare sensitive. So with, with my eye conditions, um, so I wear... Uh, sunglasses, prescription sunglasses, um, so people can't see. But I've been I've been with people that have said, you know, that Rolf, the first thing somebody does, they'll look at the cane, and then they'll look straight up at the person and look at their eyes to see if they can see if they're blind <laughs> or not. And it happens all the time. Or it's quite funny, you know, you'd be walking with somebody, you'd be at a crossing, and you'd be waiting to go, and and they'll see the seeing eye dog, they'll see you, they're in their car, mm. and they're waving you. Cross, yeah, um, and you can't see the person waving across, you know. Uh, so yeah, look, you know, there's all this stigma around what people think you can see and what you can't. Mm. And one of the things it taught as as young kids, look at somebody in the eyes when you're talking to them. You know, um, that is something I had absolutely been pounded into me um, by my parents. You know, look me in the eye when you're talking to me, or when when I'm talking to you, look at me. Mm. So I that now that I'm in a room and if I'm talking to somebody, I'm not looking at the person, I'm looking at 
the sound they're making out of their voice, right? Mm. So I'm looking at them like I'm looking at them directly in the eye. I can't see them, but I'm looking at them because I'm hearing where their voice is. So they tell me, oh, Robert, you know, you're looking straight at me. Uh, and I say, no, yeah, I might be looking at straight at you, but I can't see you. I'm listening to your voice where your voice is. And that's when, um, you know, you were mentioning earlier about the ears, you know, you're listening to your environment around you. Just It's just out of a, a respect thing, you know, that you, yep. you look at the person. Yeah. That's right, exactly. There are a lot of people who, as we know, may have never come in contact with someone who is blind or someone with low vision, and they might not know how to interact with that person. Of course, it comes with inexperience, lack of awareness and false assumptions, which can really turn an interaction between a blind person and a sighted person somewhat unpleasant. So how can sighted people be helpful or an alley to people who are blind or have low vision? What are some tips for interaction? So should people announce their presence or departure? Tell us about some of All the things. Of the very, very first thing I'd like, I'd like to tell people when, that, when this question gets asked is be yourself. Yeah. You know, just don't change yourself because as a, as a, as a blind person, you can tell um, you know, we, we, we're not we're not silly. You can tell when somebody is really, you know, um, not being themselves. You know, so it's okay to talk about sighted things. You know, like people say to me, "Oh, did you? I say oh, I saw the footy last night?" But I've heard it on the radio or something like that. But you know, so just be yourself. That's one of the most important things that. I, I, I can stress to any sighted person when they're interacting with somebody that's low vision. So they don't need don't to tiptoe. They don't need to tiptoe around no. you. They don't need to. You're not going to take it to heart. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fine. You know, oh, look, I, 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 that's for me. It's fine. Yeah, I that's mean, true. Not, yeah, somebody might. You know, I'm not saying that everybody is like me. I'm only giving you my experience. You know, so I just want to flag that. But just be normal. You know, just saying. You know, look, and, and everything else like that. The other thing is, I, and this is a funny story, I have a, a family friend who I've known for many, many, many years who every time they see me, without fail, they raise their voice, right? Mm, mm, and I'm telling them, my ears are okay. You don't have to yell at me. I just can't see. Now, there are some people with dual sensory loss with who are deaf and blind and stuff like that. Yeah. But for me, you know, and I'll just say you don't have to yell, but... I've said this to this person, I think, over a thousand times over 20 years, you know, um, and they still do it. And I just, I just give up now and just let them, let them yell and just, you know, they do think what being, they think being blind automatically constitutes you as deaf, but they're two different things. And as you said, there are some people who are blind and deaf, but they don't necessarily, they don't need to speak to you in a louder voice. If anything, you know, as we said, your sense of hearing is amplified, so they, they can speak lower if they like. <laughs> but the other thing is, though, um, you mentioned it, you know. It's good to know who's in the room, you know, because I'll walk into a room and part of the etiquette is, you know, especially at Vision Australia, is to announce, you know, who's in the room, you know, and, and who you're passing. If you're passing somebody in the corridor, hi, Rolf, how are you going, Miss Bill? You know, so I know who it is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the other thing is I've had, I'm laughing, I'm sorry, but the other thing is I've had some wonderful conversations with myself because somebody's left the room and I didn't know they've left the room and I've continued on the conversation. <laughs> so, yeah. Just, just that little thing, oh, Ralph, I've got to go now, I'm leaving now. So I've got a sense that that person's no longer there, you know. Just little things like but it, that. It's but, something but, It's something you do with a sighted individual, you know. You let them know that you're leaving. It's common etiquette. It is, it is. And it's just those, it's those little things that I think mean mean the most to me when somebody that has never met me before does those little things you go oh well that's pretty special that that, that they understand you know um, because it's not that people are nasty or you know nine times out of ten people are absolutely wonderful and I know we live in a lot of drama in the world today but it is a nice place to live as well there mm. are some really really good genuine people out there it's just one of those things that Try and be normal. Just try and be the same. Just try and ask. I know some people don't like to be asked, but I I like when somebody comes up to me and goes, "Rob, what can you see?" And then you give, you give a, a bit of an explanation of what you can see, 
and then they get a little bit of an understanding of what's going on, you know. So I like to be asked questions. I don't mind it when somebody, and that gives me an opportunity to teach somebody about what it is. But when people are a little bit, oh, I don't want to say anything because I don't want to offend, you pick up on that really quickly. But are there, are there certain phrases or expressions that aren't quite appropriate to use when engaging in a discussion with someone who is blind? For me, no. I, don't, I can't speak for every blind person in the world, but for absolutely me, I want people to talk about, oh, isn't the sky today nice and blue because I can get into my head and I can think, oh, yeah, okay, I, I understand what they're talking about. So for me, there's nothing off limits. So I just want people to talk like they normally talk. Mm. You know, that's okay. It's okay. I can't stress that enough. Yeah. And is it okay to come up to someone with vision loss and offer any kind of assistance? Yeah. That, now, 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 this is this this will this will get your people laughing a little bit. <laughs> I'm already uh, laughing. In the, in, the, in the in the initial stages, you know, I did not know how to re- interact with people mm. in a sense that I go out and somebody will go, "Oh, mate, I'll give you a hand across the road," and um, I didn't know how to say, no, I don't want to go across the road. So what I used to do is I used to go, they used to help me across the road. I used to wait 10 minutes until they're gone and cross the road back again. No way. I I didn't have the heart. No way. (laughs) But now, once you get a little bit more confident, you know, the best thing that somebody can do is ask if you need help. Mm. Never grab, never touch, never do anything because that's a bit startling. Even if... Even a, a sighted person, if somebody straight away grabs you, you're sort of like, you know, startled, don't you? Mm. So never grab anybody, um, always ask, unless there's one little disclaimer there. If, if you're walking alongside somebody or seeing somebody and they're just about to fall down a crevice or go, go somewhere, <laughs> yeah, grab them. But in general, don't grab an arm or I've had, I've had a few falls because of that. I'll be mm. getting off a train. I seeing our dogs going one way. Somebody's grabbed me on the arm because they think they're really helpful and pulled me the other way and down I go. You know, so just be always ask if somebody needs some help and don't be offended if they say, no, I'm fine, thank you. Mm. That just means they want to get on, they're independent and they want to get it, they want to get on. Or don't hesitate if they need help, then to pitch in and say, okay, what help do you need? How can I help? What, mm. what, and, and they'll tell you, we'll tell you straight away what we need. Typically, yep. do you ask for help normally when you're out and about or do you find that you're doing okay, you're managing well? In the initial stages I used to, you know, I used to, you know, go on a station and I might just ask because I know somebody's standing there because you can sense them and you just say, listen, mate, is this train going to um, Wollongong? You know, and they go, yep, okay. They go, yeah, mate, yeah, it is. So, you know, if you, you say, you know, you're catching the right train. But now... You know, you're playing your trips to the nth degree before you go out. You know, I've got a mental map of where everything is and everything else like that. So um, in a supermarket, I might ask where, where, where everything is and I might ask for some help, you know, going around the supermarket if I go to the supermarket because now everything's online. I do all my, do all my grocery shopping and stuff mainly online. You know, um, you know, I've got programs now with um, the screen readers, as you, you mentioned, that I can get on and do all my my grocery shopping online, which is probably cheaper because I don't have those impulse buys that you have mm. when you're at a supermarket when, you, when exactly. you're walking around. And that's a thing, you know, there seems to be quite a misconception that being blind automatically means that you lose the independence of getting to and from yep. places um, whenever you please. We know that, you know, yep. when you're in familiar places, you know, you generally know the layout and you memorise where things are. What about if, you know, someone is travelling in a a different or unfamiliar place? How do you navigate those new spaces? That is a really, really good question. And the way I answer it is that doing a lot of research online, knowing where I'm going, and there's always extra help that you can get for somebody. If you're going to go somewhere new, and you're going to think that you're going to go there a long, a lot of times. We're going to be revisiting that place. You might get an O and M instructor to come with you and just sort of like give you the layout of the land, because um, it is very difficult in new places. 
but you, you you soon learn strategies and skills how to combat that because you 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 train so well on different different surfaces and stuff. But it is very very difficult, and I'm not going to sugarcoat it. When you go to a completely strange place, you need you, you probably then will ask for a little bit of help then. But you know, it's it's really good to know that you're able to access that information and familiarize yourself with those places in order to get a head start, because you don't yep. want to throw yourself in the deep end and you know, get yourself in, into trouble. And the same goes for you, for example. You know, there are some people who are blind who are afraid to ask for help, especially when you're interacting with a stranger. You're not always confident to speak to strangers, but in in that situation, I guess you need to really put yourself out there and and have that confidence. Get yourself out of your yeah. comfort zone. You do, but you, you but you still like even like even if you're sighted, you still got to try and know your environment that you're in before you reach out and ask. You know, because you do you do get a sense when. Well, I might not ask that person, you know, and that might be perfectly fine, but you just get a sense you might not, you know, and and it takes a bit of time to get that confidence and build that confidence. You know, I remember when I was first starting out, I didn't, as I said, you know, crossing roads that I didn't want to cross, I didn't say boo to anybody because I was I was literally scared. I'm a, I was a grown man and I was literally scared, yeah. you know. Uh, but you do, you do still, you, you learn your boundaries and you do learn how to be a lot more confident you know it doesn't happen overnight though that's right but what are some barriers to social inclusion for you without seeing facial expressions or body language cues how do you socialize of course being unable to see facial expressions and body language doesn't make socializing difficult very difficult and and it's something that I still, you know, I've been dealing with this now for over 20 years. It's something that I still struggle with, you know, because, as I said earlier, we live in a very visual world and I could walk into or run into you in either a business or in a social setting and I don't know if you're angry, I don't know if you're upset, I don't know if you're friendly, I don't know if you're smiling, I don't know any of those cues whatsoever. So it is difficult. So that's where, you know, I tend to not to go out to these places alone it would be a nightmare for me I and mean, i know other people that do it and they, they and they cope quite well to be honest but you know i'm, I'm still a little bit reserved in that and it, and it is very very difficult um, especially in a meeting as well you know um, what's made it even worse for me at through covid you know i do a lot of meetings a day and i'm in a say in a, in a conference room with, with 10 people you get the feeling and you get the sense of what's going on in the room, you know, and, and if somebody's upset, even though you can't see, you can still feel that. But when we since when COVID's happened and a lot of the meetings are on Zoom, you know, on the screen, I don't know if someone's angry, I don't know if they're poking their tongue out at me, I don't know, whatever they're doing, I don't know because I can't see it and it is difficult mm-hmm. and I still struggle with it today, absolutely. And put that aside as well, you've got that sense of, safety as well putting yourself in danger you you don't know who to yep. trust when you interact with, with people in the outside world and someone might deliberately harm you and usually yeah. when you're able to, to to see you know you're able to prepare yep. yourself that's where having someone with you all the time is is critical yeah i think so but, but also i don't want to i don't want people to think well i can't do anything by because i go down the shops myself in 20 odd years you know i haven't had an incident that what i, I would consider I'm dangerous. You know, there's been some is- incidences, but that has been you know, not because of me. But generally, I try and keep myself safe as possible. So, you know, I don't want people to be scared out there, but, yep. um, you know, just have to be sensible. And I think even sighted people have to be sensible when they go out too. What about in terms of how you handle other things in your life, like bills and letters? What do you, how do you go about that? It's, most of all that stuff is electronic now. Mm-hmm. You very rarely do I get a, a window, what I used to call the window envelopes, you know, with the bills yep. in it. You need help writing. But what I used to have, and I, it still actually works, and I used it the other day, is a scanner that can scan a document and then it reads to me what's on that document. And it's so good to see that new technology is 
making it so much easier to access printed information. There are, you know, those programs which allow a person to scan a document and then convert it to an accessible Word document to be read with adaptive technology. What about in terms yeah. of handwriting? That would be quite, you know, difficult to read for someone who is blind. There's also gadgets nowadays, and the gadgets, you know, the gadgets that they've got nowadays are improving every every six months or so. There is even things that you can scan, you know, print in and it'll agree to you and text. It's all sorts of things that are out there at the moment, but it is has been in the past for me difficult to read something, you know, that is handwriting, but there is things available, and, and the more, more technology... Um, improves the cheaper these things are mm -hmm. to get your hands on right? so you know it's not all doom and gloom as i said earlier that that gentleman has been blind since birth so it's an absolutely amazing time yeah. um, of life to be blind because of these these technology that is coming through that's right. You mentioned that we have come a long way in terms of, you know, making things more accessible for people who are blind. But, you know, some people would argue that one thing that really hasn't changed for blind people is the lack of access to the workforce. Are there, you know, from your perspective, institutional or systematic barriers, systematic barriers for people who are blind or have low vision to actually find employment? Absolutely. You're spot on. And I'm only, this is a guesstimate number because I heard it the other week, it's about 40 to 50% of people who are blind or who have low vision are unemployed. And when you consider the job rate or the job figures are about 5%, you know, it, it is that high. It is very, very difficult for somebody that's VI vision impaired to get work but those barriers are also starting slowly but surely breaking down and i know it, at business australia for instance you know we have a, a dedicated team and a dedicated program to find people with vision impairments work and we've got uh, 20 years ago or maybe i don't know it might have been a bit longer mm. i don't know if anybody remembers they used to have sheltered workshops you know um, where people used to go and put you know you know, tops on tooth bottles and toothpaste bottles and stuff like that. You know, we've come a long way since those days because we've got so many people going through, when I say so many people, so many people that are blind or low vision going through university, got professional careers, there's lawyers, there's all sorts of people out there in the community that have broken down this stigma and this barrier that there is nothing realistically um, we can't do, mm. um, but I think it's an education thing with some of the um, employers out there. They think, oh, my goodness, you know, uh, they can only see the negative, and it's only an education thing. But I've, and I've had this conversation with many, 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 many people that, have, that are in the same boat as mine, you know, and captains of industry as well, that, you know, when you get somebody that's vision impaired and you employ them and if they've got the skills to do that job, They've got such a loyal employee. It's, 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 mm. it's just amazing. We've got a long way to go. We're making great strides, and I know um, Vision Australia, we are making absolutely amazing strides, and um, they've got programs like Life Ready and all sorts of things, which is for kids to teach kids at an early age that, you know, they can do anything they set their mind, mind to, but we've still got a long way to go. You know, there, there does seem to be a high proportion of people who do lack that confidence to employ someone with vision loss. And I think, again, it comes with that low education and a lot of prejudice that people who are blind, they're incompetent to move around safely within that environment. But what we know is that, you know, blind people have really adapted so beautifully over the years. They've trained themselves to be able to do that. And, and with the technologies that have happened We've yeah. got now at our access and stuff like that. And um, there is just so many things out there that, you know, I, I'm sitting at my desk now. I'm talking to you on um, my iPhone. I have my computer um, in front of me where I do my emails and do my, my spreadsheets and my I, I do my reports and everything else like that. And it's all speaking software. So I can sit and I, I can sit and be functional and do the job. And it's just breaking down those barriers. Now, when I first started out, before I was so lucky and blessed to work for VA, or Vision Australia, I went for about 47 job interviews and, and didn't get any. 
you know, um, and, and the things that I was qualified at doing, you know, because I did all the training and they retrained me and everything else. But you can have some wonderful phone interviews and you can have some wonderful, you know, you do the tests and you do the psych tests and you do all of those things. But as soon as you walk into an interview panel with four or five people and you've got a, a black seeing eye dog next to you, you can actually hear the crickets. You can actually, <laughs> some can hear the gasp of, oh, what are we going to do? You can feel that and you can sense that. And it, all it is, I'm, I'm not criticising those people. It's just an education thing. And then then when they do interview you, it's up to us then to self-advocate ourselves and to turn around and say, well, I can do this, this, this and this. And you pull out your laptop and you can show them what you can do and all the rest of it. I know that now, but when I first started out, I was you went through all the interview and all the rest of it. And you knew as soon as you left, that you're going to be put on the too hard basket. It's not that they don't want to employ you. It's just that they don't know how and they think, what if something happens? What if he hurts himself? What if, mm. what if you know, or they They're liable. The negative. They're liable for it. Yeah, like, yeah. Absolutely. And then if you're sitting there and you've got the same quals as somebody that is cited, the easy thing for, for some of these organisations to go is just to go for the cited person mm. because it's safe. I'm not saying people discriminate that's just human nature you know that's just because they don't understand so that's where um, I've learned over the years uh, is how to self-advocate for myself so if I was starting out again and was going for job interviews I, I would know all the right things to say I would know all the right things to do and do that but in the beginning I didn't you know so that's why I went for those 47 job interviews and I would say three quarters of them I could have done standing on my head. There was a couple of them I just went, ah, oh, throw me hat in a ring. I don't think I could do it. But, yep, yep. but, but three quarters, but three quarters of those jobs I could do, and I know I didn't get it. You never gave up, and I personally am a strong believer in ability, not disability. And I think that yeah. if someone who has vision loss feels comfortable and capable of working, then they should go for it. There's so much out there, as we said, to aid you. Yeah. Technology, as we know, is incredible, but it does come with the right attitude. 40-plus yeah. interviews and you never gave up, it really proves something to everyone that you know, you're capable yeah. and it doesn't have to feel like a life sentence for you. It wasn't easy, I tell you, mm. and there were some dark times and there were some times where I, I almost gave up. You know, I'm not going to say, you know, oh, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I fought the good fight every time and look, look at me now. There were some really dark times that I thought, well, I'm never going to get in and some real soul-destroying times as well. You've got to keep going and, and, and you've got to, got to prove it wrong. Now, this is, this is quite some years ago now and luckily the more programs like this one and other programs and out there in the community we're breaking those barriers and we're breaking that 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 sort of like oh now what do i do so you know even even this program that that i'm speaking to you on now is breaks up hopefully one person hears it that thinks i can do that and that's what we're trying to do is educate and we're always trying to educate so we're getting a voice and for your program, I'm, I'm so grateful that you've given me a voice today. That's brilliant. So, you know, we're getting there. That's a long, right. long, long That's way. right. We've got a long way to break down the barriers and stuff, but we're getting there. That's right. It is It is a slow and steady process, but we need to get there somehow. And these programs, particularly community radio, really help to shift those public attitudes and perceptions so in closing today what message do you hope people take from our discussion today why is it important for us to to have that proper awareness and education and really have that discussion with people like yourself i, I think the couple of things that i think is, is is the takeaways from this is to people are people we're we're, we're people we have feelings we have we have all sorts of things Talk to us. Don't talk around us or talk to us in the, in, 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 in the third motion. If anybody out there um, today has got a vision impairment and they're a little bit scared, don't give up. The world out there is changing for the better when it comes to inclusion and stuff like that. For sighted people, you know, just get to know us. Get to talk to us. If you see somebody um, with a cane or with a dog and if they're not going 100 mile an hour, stop and have a chat to them and, and, and talk to them and then you'll find out that, hey, they're, 
they're, they're just like you and me and, and, and everything else. And a little thing that I was taught very young in my in my, my journey with blindness, just if a viewer is sitting there listening to this right now, close your eyes for a couple of minutes, just close and tight. And are you any less intelligent? Are you any less incapable? Oh, I'm getting emotional. Are you any less mobile just because you've got your eyes closed? And the answer is no. We're all got abilities. So just we all need, you know, to embrace each other, you know, whether it's sight, whether it's um, vision impairment, whether it's other disabilities as well. You know, we all just need to break down these barriers and stigmas and just all get along. You know, that's what I'd like the takeaway to be. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. And I just, I closed my eyes for a second and I did reflect on the words that you just issued and the advice that you gave. And really, if anything, you're more in tune to your thoughts and, and you know, it really pushes everything around you and and helps you focus on what is truly important. And that's why I believe, you know, conversations like this really help to reduce social stigma, ignite a societal shift towards accepting blind people as valued members of a diverse society. So Ralph, thank you immensely for sharing a lot of valuable insight. I am so grateful and thankful to have been able to capture your story because this isn't only a learning experience for our listeners it's also a learning experience for myself as well you know I had the pleasure of speaking to you and learning more about your life and your perspective in hope of eliminating misconceptions social stigma and prejudice about blindness I wish you the very best and thank you again on behalf of our listeners I want to thank you as well you know you I felt at ease and I felt comfortable and, and to share my story. And if the listeners heard the way in which you spoke to me through this, if they take a little bit of a cue from you, everything will be fine. And I just want to say to the listeners out there, thank you for all that you do and, and you know, good luck with everything. And, you know, if you see a man with a, a bald head and a, a black seeing eye dog, it might be me. Stop say, say good day to me, please. I, I really appreciate that and I really appreciate everybody. So thank you so much. To understand what it's like for me, you gotta walk in my shoes. You want-